Thanks for joining us here at New Song Church, where we are helping people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you have any questions at all or just want to learn more about us as a church, you can check us out online at mynsc.org. It's the best way to stay connected with us throughout your week. And now, check out this week's sermon. Are you ready to study the Word of God, yes or no? Okay, let's do that. Get out your sermon notes as we talk about broke and being broken one more time. And I'm going to read a, a verse of scripture to you. It's in Psalm 34, verse 18. This is kind of the basis of this series, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, that, that he, seems, he seems distant when you're broken, but the truth of the matter is he's very close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Like, like God is very near when you, when you are at your worst, God is at his best. When you feel distant from God, that's when God is actually very close to you and he's just one prayer away. And yet the devil would have, have it seem in your life that, that God is just distant from you. Have you ever been in that place in your life where God just seems distant? Like you, you don't know if you can reach him again. You don't know if he's really listening to you. You don't know if, he, if he's going to accept you. You don't know if you're going to have the relationship with God like you used to have or that you've always dreamed of. He just feels distant. And I'm, I'm telling you, God is very close to those who are broken. In fact, I want you to write a few things down. We just set the foundation for today that brokenness is usually a result of sin. It's usually a result of sin. So, so we're not talking about being uh, broken by, by other Christians or being broken by family members. We're talking about being broken by yourself. So we're not even talking about being broken um, on the inside or, or emotionally distraught because of the death of someone. We're talking about being broken by yourself, and it's usually the result of sin. And we live in this era, we live in this, this culture in which there are a lot of pastors who don't like to actually say the word sin. If you've noticed, if you listen to a lot of pastors, they'll often use, instead of the word sin, they'll use the term mistakes. Well, for those of us who have made a lot of mistakes, well, I don't know about you, I've made mistakes, no, no doubt about it. But to be honest with you, I have just flat out sinned before God. How many are like me? You can just admit it. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Like, I'm just a sinner in need of a Savior. It wasn't mistakes that I just made. Sometimes the sin wasn't just a mistake. It was all-out rebellion. I knew what I should not do, and I did it anyway. I sinned before God. And being broken is usually, is usually an act of sin in our lives. And, and in fact, throughout this morning, we're never going to, I'm not going to read the story of the prodigal son, but this, the prodigal son, when he took his inheritance and went and just, and just spent it all on the wrong things, that that wasn't just a mistake in his life, that was sin in his life, okay? And I think, I think that pastors here in, in America especially, I think we need to talk about sin for what it is because it, because it, it is when we come to our senses concerning sin that we realize how dire it is, how important it is for us to, to, to present ourselves before a Savior. See, see what, I, what I feel is happening in America today is there's a lot of people who just say, well, I've just prayed the prayer, so now I can go do what I want. I pray the prayer so everything is fine. 
and they've never really been broken over their sin, the fact that their sin separated them from God. They've never really been broken over that. That, 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 that they've never truly repented of their sin. They just thought, okay, well, I said the prayer, so I'm, I'm good to go. But brokenness, brokenness is a result of sin. And by the way, that's a good kind of brokenness in that the Bible says that godly sorrow, you could say godly brokenness, brings us to repentance in our life. It, it brings us to this place of surrendering our life to the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing I want to tell you is that true brokenness then pleases God. And you might think the opposite. But true brokenness actually pleases God far more than fake spirituality. And so, so as I stand to you here today, what I try to do every single week is I try to, to be transparent with you to, to let you know that, hey, hey I, I, I sin too. I struggle too, just like you do. I'm no different. I'm trying to fulfill my purpose in Christ Jesus to the best of my ability. But I still have failures in my life. I still have temptations. And sometimes, as much as I hate it, sometimes I still, I still give in. And yet, 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 sometimes we try to pretend to be far more spiritual than we really are. And God actually doesn't like pretend spirituality. In fact, the Bible says if, if that's the way that you're living life, that's really considered a lukewarm style of living, just mediocre living. He would rather you be broken than to fake it. Because there's beauty in brokenness. That's when God shows up when you're broken. But if you just pretend to be super spiritual... Can I tell you, you're never going to have some real encounters with Christ the way that you're meant to encounter Christ. And some people here in this room, you have the tendency just to fake it. That everything's fine. Everything's good. But you know, deep down on the inside, you're just faking it. Sometimes you don't want people to see your brokenness. And I just, I just want to tell you that your brokenness captures the attention of God. And he finds it beautiful. Why? Because when you present yourself broken to the Lord, he is very near. And he wants to deliver. He wants to save those who are crushed in spirit. I want to teach you something else. Write this down. That wounds, the brokenness that you go through, actually allow God to prove his love and healing for you. That, that if you don't allow brokenness to occur in your life, you're actually restricting the hand of God from healing you the way that he wants to heal you. That if you have pretend spirituality, fake spirituality, and you never just have this open relationship before God, that you're actually limiting the hand of God upon your life or the touch of God upon your life. But when you come to the Lord in complete surrender and complete honesty, that's when God can do the things in your life that you long for him to do, but in your pride you are restricting him from doing it if you refuse to surrender wholeheartedly to him. Can I, can I tell you something? This is powerful stuff. What I'm teaching you right now is life-changing for you. 
And, and you say, well, pastor, there's not a lot of fun in this. There's not a lot of laughter in this. How, how many know that brokenness and, and spiritual pride or faking it does not make God, does not make God laugh? Your pretend spirituality does not make God laugh. That actually, he would rather you present yourself to him for exactly who you are. Because when you do that in honesty and humility, that he can take that. And the Bible says that he gives beauty for ashes. And that's why we can say, that brokenness becomes beautiful. That your brokenness becomes beautiful. And let, in fact, let me teach you something that maybe you've never thought of before. But the, the church, capital C, the church, like all of the Christians in the world, the church consists of broken people who find wholeness in a Savior who was broken for us. That it's the beauty of the church it's the beauty of the family of God or the children of God. The beauty of the family of God or the children of God is the fact that we are broken people who have been put back together by a Savior who was broken for us. And it's all throughout the scriptures that Jesus was broken for us, that he endured things for us. In fact, primarily, he endured the cross and death in which we were supposed to endure because of the wages of sin is death, and he took our place, and he was broken, and he was ridiculed, and he was despised, and he was rejected so that you and I wouldn't have to be. And, and I want to... I'm going to show you a portion of scripture that really points to what I'm talking about. And again, I'm talking about self-induced brokenness. That at this point, you're not blaming the church, you're not blaming Christians, and you're not blaming family. You're just looking inside and saying, I did this. Like, I did this. This was self Induced. Okay, so before we, we get there, let me just say it like this, everybody. Okay, uh, you, you know that over the past year or so, I've, I've lost quite a bit of weight. Now I'm kind of at a plateau point. And, uh, and, and yet, what you're looking at today, I did this. And, and when you look at yourself, you did that. Like my mom is sitting here in the room, but she didn't do this. I did this. Like, like, okay, can I tell you something about the difference between growing up in Oklahoma and, and, and living here in the North, especially, uh, especially being married to, to my wife? When, born and raised in Oklahoma, everybody, uh, and maybe just in our family, but I really think it's across the board throughout the, the South, if you grew up in the South, we fried everything. Like, everything was fried. I'm telling you, everybody, the glory of God rests upon fried chicken. I promise you that. And in, and in the South, we, we, don't, we don't call it country fried steak. We call it chicken fried steak, everybody. Like when I go to a restaurant and I order, and it's so, it's so funny. If I go to a restaurant and I order um, uh, chicken fried steak, they, they always, the waitress will look at me or the server will look at me and say, well, do you mean country fried steak? 
I'm like, oh yeah, that's what you call it, you weirdo. It's, a, it's, con- it's not country fried steak, it's chicken fried steak where I come from. How many remember that southern talk? Maybe those of you who are from Kentucky might say chicken fried steak. But up here, it's, you guys get it wrong, it's not. And, 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 and if you're eating some, some chicken fried steak with mashed potatoes and it's loaded up with gravy, everybody. Ooh, thank you, Lord, right? And, and we, we say it in the South, a gravy is like a beverage in the South. It goes with everything, like gravies with everything. And so, so growing up in the South, that was just the way that things were. And, and as much as my mom, she, my mom has fried more things than you can imagine, but this is not my mom's fault. This is my fault, right? And, and in fact, I, I get married to Jennifer. Jennifer was born and raised in Indiana. And we get married, and I'm totally surprised, I'm totally shocked that my wife doesn't fry anything, I mean, at first I thought, man, I think that's of the devil. I don't know what, I prayed, I prayed and prayed, and I found out, actually, I think I was the wrong, the one that was wrong, not my wife, because it's healthier. She, she makes sure that we eat healthier, because she just doesn't fry anything, and she says, hey, listen, so if you want something fried, you'll just have to order that when we go out to eat, because I'm not cooking it, I'm not frying it. Well, well how many know that... I'm going to order it when we go out to eat, because I don't get it at home, everybody. I got to get it from... From restaurants, because that's just the way. There's just the way that it is. There's just a difference between living in the north and living in the south. And actually, there's a lot of a lot of differences between here and there. And as I as I as I think about even to the point of weight that I got had gotten up to, that was me. That was on me. That I I couldn't blame anybody else. And there's some things in your life that are in your life, and they're self-induced. And I'm not talking about weight. I'm not talking about health. I'm talking about sin issues. They were self-induced. Nobody coerced you to do it except for you. Nobody gave in to it except you. Nobody forced you to do it except you. They were just self-induced. And and you have these things in your life, and you hate it about you. there, There are things that are in your life Things that you, you do or tendencies that you have that you cannot stand. And actually the truth of it, let me give you the, the truth uh, behind it. That if there are some, some sins in your life that the Holy Spirit is dealing with you about, praise God that the Holy Spirit is dealing with you about those things. If those sins trouble you, it means that you're a Christian. It means that you're allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your life and sanctify you and make you more like Jesus Christ, everybody. The fact that sin bothers you is proof that you've been changed by the power and the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because none of us are perfect. None of us are without sin. So if you think, well, I can't talk about my sin to anybody because I'm the only one that deals with it. The truth of the matter is you're not. I promise you're not the only one that struggles with that sin. Because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And yet that sin in our lives should produce brokenness that we don't, we don't, we don't like the fact that we give in to that sin. So we present ourselves to the Lord over and over and over again so that the Lord and the precious Holy Spirit can change us and sanctify us and, and make us more like 
Christ, our brokenness and the realization of it and our presentation of ourselves to God is actually very beautiful in the sight of God. And it allows God to prove his his healing power in our lives. So we're a church, not just here at New Song, but Christians all over the world. We are a church family that consists of broken people who find wholeness in a Savior who was broken for us. Let me read this to you out of Isaiah chapter 53, starting in verse 2. He grew up before him, meaning Jesus. This is a messianic prophecy. It's a a prophecy about the Messiah, Jesus. Jesus grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Can I tell you something about Jesus in earthly form was very... Very homely. He wasn't this incredibly handsome man and that would attract a lot of people just based upon his good looks. In fact, this past week, this past week, we embarrassed one of my my cousins that I hadn't seen since he was a little boy. He um his name is Cody, and Cody, I call I called him Flyboy because he he um He's stationed at Tinker Air Force Base, and he's actually he, he's a pilot for F-16s. And so sometimes they'll, uh, we have a, a video recording, like the, the start of an Oklahoma State University, the Cowboys football team. Uh, the whole stadium is packed with 100,000 people. And then they're, you know how they do the flyovers of the jets? Well, my cousin was the lead jet in that flyover. It's just what he does. And, by the way, he looks like he could be in the movies. I mean... He's like the ultimate flyboy. I, I looked at him. I said, dude, it looks like you could be on the cover of GQ. You know, like this guy is handsome. I mean, ha- I mean I'm a dude and I'm married, but I know that this guy's handsome. I, have you ever seen somebody like that? You just know. And he's like, oh, man, somebody else. You keep doing that. And he's embarrassed because everybody keeps saying, dude, you are like, wow. You know, like if I were a girl, I'd want to date you because you're, you're just, you know, handsome. And, and Jesus, can I tell you that, that Jesus was actually rather homely. He, he, he didn't have all of the good looks that a lot of people and a lot of paintings would say that he would have. In fact, we have it right here that he had no beauty or majesty to attract us, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar. He was familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Like we didn't think anything of him. Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God and stricken by him and afflicted. But watch this, everybody. Verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. I'm talking about the church consisting of broken people who find wholeness in a Savior who was broken for us. That we present ourselves as broken before the Lord, and Jesus knows what we're going through. He knows what it feels like. To be broken on the inside. And he says, okay, you can come to me in your brokenness. And I'm going to make sure that when you come to me, I'm going to heal you. 
that the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. healed. We're made whole again. And I know that a lot of people, especially especially in Pentecostal and charismatic circles, that they use that verse, we, that, that by his wounds we are healed, and they talk about physical healing. And I want you to know that's true. It's true. But the context of this is far greater than just physical healing. The context of this is, hey, we present our brokenness to the Lord, and we realize that actually by his wounds... We are healed. We're talking about spiritual and emotional healing. And I believe that actually primarily in this verse, it's talking about spiritual healing. It it certainly applies to physical. But I think primarily it, it applies to spiritual healing. That the healing that God wants to do first in all of our lives is to heal us spiritually. To make us whole To make something beautiful out of our brokenness. So when the prodigal son comes home, the father runs out to meet him, clothes him, puts a robe on him and a ring on him and sandals on him and fully restores the prodigal son. And says, listen, everything's okay. I'm just glad you're here. I'm glad you're back. I'm glad you surrendered. I'm glad you came to your senses. And now, son, we don't ever have to talk about the past. Well, well dad, this is, what, this is what I did. No, 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 I, I don't, I don't, I'm just glad you're back. I don't have to hear about that stuff. I, I don't have to know the details. I'm just glad you're back. You are completely Restored as if that never occurred. And when you present yourself broken before the Lord, he'll make you whole. And at the end of the service, you're going to have a chance to do that because God wants to heal you. He wants to heal you from the inside out. And he doesn't stop there. He wants to use you to heal others. And I'm going to show you this too, because there's two sides of this healing that takes place. One is that it takes place in us, and the other one is that God wants it to take place in everybody. And he uses us. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Now, let's stop right there. And you know what that is. In your life, what, and this comes from, from 27 years of counseling people, that you know in your life that one thing, and some would say two or three things, it's that one thing primarily that you're, you're just given to. You, you, you just lean in that direction. It's that one sin that you're constantly battling, that you're constantly dealing with. It's that one struggle in your life that you, which you think, God, why don't you just take this away? Like if you just take the, took this away, oh, the freedom I would experience. In, and you wonder why God allows that in your life. 
It's that sin that so easily entangles, the sin that drives you crazy, the sin that you wish, oh, I wish I didn't have to deal with this anymore. I'm so, I'm so sick of it. You know, Paul had something in his life. We don't know exactly what it is, but he said that there's this sin, or not this sin, there was this issue in his life, let me rephrase that, in, in, in which he brought it to God, and he said, God, I have a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it is. He said, I have a thorn in the flesh. Would you just take, like my life would be so much easier and so much better if you just took this from me. And God said, I'm not going to take it. But, but know this, that my grace is sufficient for you. Because in your weakness, new song of your weakness, God is made strong. And, and I am convinced after, after well over two decades of counseling people, I'm convinced that there are things that God allows in our lives. He does not produce them. He doesn't, he doesn't put sin on us. It's impossible for him to do that. The Bible says it is impossible for God to, to tempt us with evil because there's no evil in him. But there are things that, that are allowed in our lives because he knows in the long run, it's going to keep bringing us, as, as we struggle in freedom, it's going to keep bringing us back to him over and over and over again. And we'll realize that we cannot be self-reliant, that we have to rely on him, that in our weaknesses, he's actually the one made strong. And you don't get any glory out of that. He gets all of the glory. You're like, well, God, I wish that this just wasn't in my life. And God says, I know, I know, but I'm going to allow it because, because of this thing. You're going to keep coming back to me over and over and over again. And you and I are always going to be in relationship because you're going to live a life of reliance on me. And that's the life I want you to live. So a lot of people would say, well, well, well doesn't God want to deliver? Absolutely. But he also knows what's best. And we can't get around that Paul had this thorn in the flesh. And God said, no, I'm not taking it from you. You can't get around that in scripture. How many know it's there? And he says, Paul, it's actually, this is actually a reminder that you need me every single day and that you cannot do this thing on your own. You need me in your life. And one thing I've learned about following Jesus I can't do it on my own. Like Justin cannot save himself. I have to fully rely upon the Lord Jesus Christ. I have to stay broken before the Lord. And there is, the, there is something in all of our lives. It's that, that sin, that, that sin. And you know exactly which one it is. I'm talking about that one. That makes you keep coming back to God over and over and over again. It's that sin that could easily trip you up, that easily entangles you. And he says, hey, listen, it, I know it's that sin, but you're not meant to be entangled by it. You're not meant to be tripped up by it. You're, you're supposed to live in victory over it as you continue to rely upon me. Well, well, well God, what in the world am I supposed to do with that sin? What am I supposed to do with that one? Watch everybody. That we strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And we do this, we run that race. 
We run that race by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Well, pastor, I've got that sin in my life. I've got this sin in my life. What am I supposed to do? The Bible makes it very clear that we set our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Let me tell you what not to do. And I counsel people in this all the time. Here's here's what not to do. Let's say uh, that the sin in your life is lying, okay? You just tell lies all the time. Some, I, I know some people who truly struggle with this. They say, Pastor, even if I told the truth, it wouldn't be a bad thing. It would be fine. And sometimes I just choose to lie. I don't know why. It's just, it's just I just lie a lot. And I hate it about me. And I say, well, that, well, you know, the good news is you hate it. Because that's proof that God is doing something in your life. And so if you struggle, if, that, if, that's, if that's your sin, don't wake up in the morning and say, Father, today I'm, gonna, I, I, I'm not going to lie. Father, I know I'm going to be tempted to lie, but I don't want to. Father, I know I'm going to have this meeting. I'm going to be tempted to say this. I don't want to. I want you to help me. I don't want to be a liar. I don't want to be a liar. If, listen, if you put all of your focus on lying, it's all you're going to think about all day long is lying. All day long. That's what you'll be focused on. So I tell people this all the time. Don't start your day like that. Don't even think about that. The Bible, says, the Bible says that we keep our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't keep our focus on sin. We keep our focus on him. And in doing so, we wake up in the morning, Father, I thank you that I'm free. I thank you that I'm a man or a woman of integrity. I thank you that I'm going to live a great day today, that I'm going to honor you in all things at all times, that I'm going to live a life of surrender because you deserve it. You are the author and the finisher of my faith. I'm going to give you all of the glory. I'm going to live, I'm going to live for the benefit of others as I live for you. So, Father, come in, reside in me, fill me, empower me. And so we, we start our days not by focusing upon our sin, but, but, but by focusing our lives on the one who delivers us from sin. And when you get your eyes on Jesus, it's far more difficult to commit a sin. How many know it's hard to sin? Have you ever sinned in the middle of praying? Like, it's hard to sin when you pray. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever been reading your Bible at home and just chose to, you know what, that's a good verse. I'm going to go sin real quick. I'll be right back, God. Like, it's hard to sin as you study your Bible, isn't it? it like, when we were worshiping this very morning, we started out the service in worship, and your, your hearts and your minds were focused on God. Did you notice that your hearts and your minds weren't focused on sin? See, it's hard to sin when you're focused on Jesus. It's hard to sin when you're worshiping, when you're praying, when you're studying, when, when you're witnessing to others, when you're telling the good news of Jesus Christ, when you're living a life of ministry and service. It's hard to focus on sin when, when you're God-focused. And that's how God wants you to live. Not focused on sin, but focused on the Savior. That's how he wants you to live. And you'll experience more freedom in your life. Not when you focus on, on trying not to do what's wrong, but focus your life on, on the life that you want to live in Christ. So I don't live my life thinking, oh, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Don't think about that. I don't live my life like that. I live my life in surrender to Christ. God, I praise you today. Father, I worship you today. Lord, create opportunities. Lord, give me wisdom right now. Lord, help me today to... I just keep my eyes focused on Christ. 
And in doing so, I'm not focused on my sin. Therefore, I don't sin like I used to sin. Do I still sin? Sometimes. Does that surprise you? Doesn't surprise my wife. She sees it. It's humbling being married, isn't it? It's good for us. Because you sin too, don't you? Some of you used some words this week that you didn't want to use. You used them anyway. You thought some things you didn't want to think, but you thought them anyway. You went some places you didn't want to go, but you went there anyway. You acted in ways that you didn't want to act, but you did it anyway. Why? Because we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. But yet the more we keep our eyes on him, the more we're allowing him to do a work in us that we cannot do on our own. I can't deliver Justin from sin. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus can. So what's this? So we run the race with endurance, the one that God has set before us, and we keep our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides, beside God's throne. Think, verse 3, I underline this for you. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Like on, on a bad day, when you're having a bad day, you think about Jesus. You think about Jesus. Think of all the hostility that he endured from sinful people, and then you won't become weary and give up. I'm telling you, everybody, we win this battle. We win every battle by keeping our eyes on Jesus. And instead of keeping our eyes on our brokenness and our eyes on our pain and being wounded and the frustrations that we have in our life, we keep, we keep our eyes on Jesus. Let me, tell you, let me tell you why, everybody. Number one, write this down. that when I, when I focus on my pain, I create my own path. When I focus on my pain, I create my own path. When I focus on my, my, my sin, when I focus on my brokenness, I'm ending up creating my own path because I'm not keeping my eyes on Jesus. But yet here we're told in Scripture that we run with endurance the race that God set before us, and we do it by keeping our eyes on Jesus, not on ourselves. So we don't keep our eyes on our, ourselves. Because when we focus on our pain, we, we create our own path. You are not meant to walk a path that you create. You are meant to walk the path that God creates for you. You're meant to walk in your purpose in life, not in a path of your own making, but in a path of his making. Let, let me say it a different way. That great pain can turn into a great purpose. Write that down. That great pain can turn into a great purpose. That a lot of times the path that you are, are to run You'll realize, you'll realize it's a path that God created. You're setting your eyes upon him, and he's called you to something. And a lot of times he'll use the pain that you've experienced in your purpose. For instance, I, 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 I've said this for a number of years, and it's, it's true. And I've see, I see it more and more and more. That I always have this phrase that counselors are often in need of counseling. Did you know that? 
A lot of counselors are in need of counseling. You're like, why would you ever say that? Because it's true. Because there's a lot of people that were wounded when they were younger. They were broken. They experienced pain. And they, they, they grew up and they came out of it. And, 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 and something happened where they experienced freedom. And all of a sudden they said, you know what? I'm going to help other people who went what I, what I went through when I was a child or when I was a teenager, when I was a young adult. I'm going to help other people who, who, who are struggling with what I struggled with. And I'm going to help them be free. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going to allow God to take my pain and turn it into a purpose. And a lot of people, in fact, several that attend this church, now work at, their, their careers are built around helping teenagers and children who have been neglected and abused who were raised in dysfunctional families, who were abandoned. And God is using them to make a difference in the life of someone else. That God has this ability to turn our pain into our purpose. Some of the greatest personal evangelists I know, I mean, they, they are just excellent at winning lost people to Jesus are those that realize that if somebody didn't reach me, I would have never come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Or if God can save me, he can save anybody. I'm going to start telling some people about Jesus. So what do we do? Well, God wants you to be healed. We'll get to that in a second. But God wants to use you so that others can be healed. I just call it this. We live a life to rescue, to restore, and to repeat. You can write those down. We live our lives to rescue, to restore, to repeat. I'm going to show you this in scripture, everybody. It's Proverbs 24, 11 says, rescue those who are drawn toward death. They, they, they just have a tendency they have a tendency to go towards things that will kill or steal or destroy. They're drawn to those things. How many know some people like that? They're just drawn to sinful things. They're just drawn to things that, that are going to destroy their life. He says this, rescue those who are drawn toward death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter like those who are just tripping up in life and they are headed towards destruction. The Bible says we are meant to rescue them. We are called to rescue them. In fact, in that little bitty book in the New Testament before Revelation called Jude, in verse 23, it says this, show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the fire. Like our, our job, everybody, our job is to help other people experience healing in Christ. That we are meant to rescue those who are stumbling and who are failing in life. We're to, we're to point every Bible, everybody to Jesus. Even when I was preaching at my, my uncle's funeral this past week, I said, you know, one thing that I learned from my dad, and I asked him, hey, dad, when I was officiating my first funeral, I said, dad, what, what, what do you do at funerals? Like, what am I supposed to do? He said, that's easy, Justin. He said, you comfort the living and you point people to Jesus. 
You just comfort the living and you point people to Jesus. And I've based, if you've ever been in a funeral service in which I've officiated, that's exactly what I do. I just comfort people, point people to Jesus. That's all I do. I did it for my own family this past Wednesday. I just share some verses, comfort them, and I just point them to Jesus. Can I tell you in your life, everybody, you're meant to live a life that points people to Jesus. That's how you're meant to live life. It's your purpose in life, because all of us are called to this, to live a life of rescue, that we rescue others who are drawn towards death, who are stumbling towards it. We live our lives to rescue them. We live our lives to restore them. And, and by the way, this takes time, everybody. I found out that restoration is something that takes a good deal of time. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in sin, Galatians 6.1. If anyone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. How do we fulfill the law of Christ? The, by the way, the law of Christ is also called the law of love. It's the law of love. How do we, how do we live out the law of love or the, love or the law of Christ? By living lives of restoration, rescuing people and restoring them, rescuing them and restoring them. Now, granted, none of us have the power to do that in and of ourselves. We just allow God to use us in rescuing and restoration. And I promise you, he will use you if you allow him to. And then what do we do? We just repeat the process over and over and over again. It came to my mind this past week as I was preparing for this message that the life of me and my wife is nothing but rescue, restore, repeat. That's how we live life. Rescue, restore, repeat. And by the way, can I tell you something? Anybody can do it. Well, pastor, that's your calling. It's all of our callings. Rescue, restore, repeat. Rescue, restore, repeat. And then the broken will be made whole by the power of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they'll be made whole. And there's some people that's going to be made whole right here, right now. In this room, would you stand up with me? This is a series that, again, it's a series that the Lord placed upon my heart, and he placed it on my heart for a moment just like this. As I promised you at the beginning of the service, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the opportunity to, to be made whole. And so if you find yourself in this room or even watching online and you are broken and it's self-induced and, and you're not pointing your finger at the church, you're not pointing your finger at, at God, you're not pointing your finger at family members, you're just, you're just looking at yourself and saying, you know what, I did this to me. I gave in, I knew I shouldn't give in and I did. And then I gave in again and then I gave in again. And I gave in again, and I, I am in this, I am in this thing. I'm just caught. I'm just caught in this. And I don't want to be. And like the prodigal, you've just come to your senses and just, Justin, today I'm broken. And it's self-induced. It's just self-induced. 
and there's nobody else to blame, just me. Can I tell you something that you're going to have the opportunity to, to come down to the altar and just spend some alone time with God. Let me tell you what's not going to happen. The prayer team is not going to, to pray over you today. In fact, I'm going to tell the prayer team, unless they want to respond themselves personally, just to stay where they are. Because I don't, I don't think this is a moment where we run to a prayer team member. I think this is a moment where we run to God and allow God to do what no man, no woman can do to make you whole. And so today I'm asking you to present yourselves as broken to the Lord, whoever, whoever will. In the first service, we had multiple people up here who just said, you know what? I'm just broken before the Lord. But I want to tell you there's beauty and brokenness. You have nothing to be ashamed of. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God will turn you, your ashes and make them into something beautiful. The Bible says he gives beauty for ashes. So when we present ourselves as broken to the Lord, it's beautiful to him. And he will make something beautiful of it. And you think, well, God is so distant. No, he's not. That's the enemy speaking to you. He's not. You know it's impossible for God to lie. And God says he's close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit, those who are contrite. He's right here right now, and he's ready to heal you. It's with every head bowed. I'm going to ask a question. And just this in boldness, just. It's your time. It's your, it's, it's your turn to be made whole. This is a God moment. And if you want to be restored, if you want to be made whole, if you, if you feel like the prodigal, and you're just ready to be healed, I want you to make your way to the altar right now. Nobody's looking at you. Nobody, if anything, they're just celebrating the fact that you're responding to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Just come and pray all by yourself. And Devin's going to keep playing. You can spend as much time as you want to in here just in prayer. And as you come, I'm going to ask everybody else, just continue to keep your eyes closed. Let's just pray those who are responding. And again, if you still want to come and pray, you're not the only one. Just come forward and pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in our brokenness. We have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We failed you and it was self-induced. We didn't have to. We knew we shouldn't have, but we did it anyway. And for that, we present ourselves before you today, Lord in our brokenness, in our pain. And, and with it comes guilt and shame that we also present to you. And I pray, God, heal me of my brokenness and, and even more so, deliver me from the sin that so easily entangles, just easily trips me up. It's that sin. God, I want to be delivered. I want to be made whole. So I run to you today. As a prodigal runs back home to the Father, so I come to you.
knowing that you're going to restore, that you're going to place on me a robe of righteousness, that you're going to heal my broken heart. So I run to you today. And now, Father, we thank you for healing us. New song, can we just open our hands toward heaven and just say thank you, especially those who are in your seats. Just thank you for accepting me as I am, for healing me, for healing my broken heart. Thank you for showing me your mercy and your grace. Thank you for allowing me to have encounters with you that I don't deserve. And yet you're a very present help in times of trouble. I thank you that I can run to you and that you let me, that you never cast me away, that you never push me aside, that you never say it's too late, that you always accept me as I am. Thank you, God for loving me the way that you love me. I worship you and honor you today. I love you, Jesus. I'm going to ask Devin to continue to play as people continue to pray up here. If you're ready to exit the sanctuary, you most certainly can, but just be very, very quiet. Have all of your conversations out in the lobby. If you don't mind, just stay quiet until you get out there and let those continue to pray who are up here at the altar. I love you more than you know, new song. God bless you guys. I'll see you next Sunday morning. Again, just very quietly make your way out to the lobby. Thank you. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in what God is doing through your life, and we would love to continue on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to mynsc.org connect. Thank you to all of you who consistently give, serve, and pray. You are the ones that God is using to truly make a difference in our community as we live out our mission of leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. We hope you tune in next week. Thank you.